At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. As a podcast listener, you know how frustrating it is when the audio is muffled or unclear. How can you have a good listening experience when you can't hear? Healthcare has been the same way. Information isn't clear, and it's hard to understand. That's why at Point Health, we're making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. And to help with your podcast experience, we're giving you a chance to win a free pair of Apple AirPods. Just visit pointhealth.com slash healthcareamericana to learn more and enter to win. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. At Freedom HealthWorks, we like to explore really what the, the core mission of the company is with direct-to-consumer healthcare and medical care, showing people that insurance does not equal care in all facets of the industry. So as an extension of direct-to-consumer healthcare and medical care, one of the biggest components that needs to be addressed is pharmaceuticals. Not just the high dollar brand name specialty drugs, but even the everyday over-the-counter and really the chronic condition medications that help a lot of Americans out. So today joining us on the podcast is Achal Patel, the CEO and co-founder of Cabinet, to discuss pharmaceutical involvement in the direct-to-consumer movement. Achal, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Thanks for having me, Christopher. Uh, pleasure to be, be here and looking forward to the conversation today. We're both addressing the same problem from different sides of the coin, really, or well, maybe not different sides of the coin, just different parts of the coin. We're on the same page here. We're addressing it from the healthcare and medical care standpoint, bringing care directly to consumers, bypassing a lot of the waste that is involved in what we think of as traditional care these days from insurance companies and regulators, administrators. And you're addressing the same problem from the pharmaceutical standpoint. Give us a little bit of background of how you came into this business and really this Mm -hmm. industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, really my entry point to the world of pharmaceuticals and and over-the-counter medicine specifically started well before I was born. A little bit of backstory on me. I grew up in a family of healthcare entrepreneurs and healers. 55 years ago, my grandfather built a acetaminophen factory from the ground up in India. I literally spent childhood summers visiting that factory, learning as much as a kid could about the world of medicine and acetaminophen. But I think much more importantly for me, the world of pharmaceuticals was this very human experience. It was touring my grandfather's factory. And then really what that set off was this lineage of very mission-driven folks in healthcare, aunts and uncles in the pharma space, parents are physician, brother at a big healthcare company. My family dinner tables are effectively board meetings, I like to joke sometimes. <laughs> and what that's really set up for me is this deep understanding of the healthcare value chain, but really with this focus of you know, how the manufacturing elements of pharmaceuticals play into that. And really over the last couple of decades, started asking a lot of why questions about you know, why are there 100 plus brands in an average pharmacy when it comes to over-the-counter medicine? Why are there almost 3,000 OTC options in your average CVS? 
And why are we putting consumers to this experience as confusing? It's environmentally unsustainable from a packaging standpoint, and it's riddled with quality issues over the last few decades. And fundamentally, those questions and that curiosity combined with an understanding of how these products are made led us to building what's now Cabinet. And fundamentally, what we were focused on at Cabinet is how do we rebuild the entire over-the-counter medicine and health essentials experience from the moment you think about needing products to buying them, to storing them in your home, to eventually throwing them away at the end of their life. Mm-hmm. There are micro pain points that consumers have along that journey that we're focused on making more delightful, focused on making more care-centric. I have to ask what it's like growing up in a sedimentine factory. I think a lot of people kind of had their eyebrows perk up at that saying, well, wait a minute, I never really thought where mm-hmm. those pills come from. What was that yeah. like? It's eye-opening, right? Because at the fundamental level of the pharmaceuticals that we take, they're humans behind all of those products. And if you think about your average medicine cabinet, there are probably 15 or 30 different factories involved in just getting you your basic everyday products. And you know, at a very fundamental level, what that means is that each one of those factories has humans in it who are focused on producing high-quality products, who often want to make the industry better themselves, but are still operating within this large structure and construct of a global pharmaceutical space. And then I think the second like realization is that these supply chains are enormously complex and sophisticated. My family spent 55 years perfecting how to make acetaminophen, which is one active ingredient in one over-the-counter product in our healthcare system. Going back to what I mentioned earlier, there are almost 3,000 of those products. It just shares, uh, it highlights the sheer volume of folks involved in this world. It is fascinating to think about because you know most of us in our day in life will walk into a pharmacy and say, okay, I'm just going to grab this little plastic bottle. The yeah, app, this looks good. Oh, it's all the same between the generics and the brand names. And then don't even realize to think, wow, there are a lot of choices out there. And so as we were talking, I kind of kind of had a light bulb moment thinking, wow, that that is very, very interesting. And I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing where they try to think that, well, this is more of a commodity. Over-the-counter medicine, medications are really commodities. I mean, do you agree with that statement or not? I think that one of the fundamental learnings for me over you know the last decade or so in this space is that not all generic medicines created equal. And the clearest representation of that is that there are three to four drug recalls a day in the US pharmaceutical industry, including some very high profile ones in the world over the counter, where about a year and a half ago, there was a nationwide recall of Zantac. It was found that ranitidine, the active ingredient in that product, actually had a carcinogen in it. And it's a product that many of us take for acid reflux on a daily basis. And really what that highlighted for the industry is that even the brand names that we've grown to trust because of their presence in the market, because of, frankly, marketing dollars spent behind building those brands, don't have full control over these global and complex supply chains. And so as we've continued to grow Cabinet, what we've acknowledged really directly is that they're 20, 30 factories involved in the products that we're supplying for you. And the only real way to fundamentally address that complexity is to actually test every single product for carcinogens, toxic metals, certain allergens, which we've seen be a really important thing for a subset of our consumers, especially if they have certain allergies or are buying medicines to give to their families. Mm-hmm. And so kind of going back to your initial question, you know, are all these products commodities? I think you know, in the long run, my vantage point is they should be affordable, but they should also be high quality. And today, not all generics are created equal. And I think they're, they're very clear examples of why in the market. 
it's interesting you bring up heavy metals and just some personal experience you know there's a from buying baby food and, and I'll, I'll i'll tell mm-hmm. you where i'm going with this one in a second <laughs> but you know you they, they did a lot of studies and they found these heavy metals in baby food and so people flee from these things but it seems like those brands always keep coming back like they'll sit there and say hey here's our mia culpa sorry about it and then people just come flooding right back it's almost like what's it going to take for somebody to say, all right, enough is enough. I'm never going to buy this brand. You've lost my interest. You lost <laughs> my trust completely. I'm going to go check out a new you know, sustainable supplier such as Cabinet. Yeah. The way that we like to think about this is really, let's give consumers that choice, right? So today, if you look at the world of over-the-counter medicine and pharmaceuticals, there are no batch level quality products in market. There are no sustainable options in market, period. So that when you buy your acetaminophen from an average CVS, Walgreens, Amazon.com, your options are a plastic bottle with a product that has gone through a supply chain that's verified, but that bottle of medicine has not been certified to be free of those metals, those carcinogens, those allergens that we're talking about. And fundamentally, a cabinet and, and kind of back to the broader you know, direct consumer world that we're operating in. Our vantage point is let's inform consumers that they have a smarter way to buy their products, one that's more environmentally sustainable, one that has quality testing that they can choose if they care about that or not, and one that looks nicer in their medicine cabinet. And so my goal is not necessarily how do we take all the customers who are buying large brand names and bring them into the world of cabinet, but how do we address the 16 to 20% of the market that is actively saying they want sustainable options, that is actively saying they want higher quality options, but have no choice today. It's a noble pursuit for sure. So back up a second. And again, for the listeners out there, we're talking to mm-hmm. Achel Patel, the CEO and co-founder of Cabinet. And Achel, give us a little bit of background on where the idea for Cabinet came from. Was there a specific pain mm-hmm. point that you saw within consumers? You said, wow, I can fix this. Yeah, I think you know, going back to that, that personal background, one of the things that I always found bizarre is that when you spend a lot of time in the manufacturing facilities for pharmaceutical products, you start to be hit with this irony of the products that I'm taking to physically feel better are produced in environments that are producing a ton of plastic waste, a ton of carbon emissions, and creating impact on the environment around us that is inextricably linked to our physical health. And the irony was not lost to me, which was the pharmaceutical industry has a huge lever to be a force for good as we've seen particularly in this last year with like the COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccines that were created. But on the flip side, there's also a ton of environmental impact. And that is like a false dichotomy that at Cabinet, we're thinking through, how do we break that dichotomy and actually create a new choice for consumers that is better for you and your family's health, but also better for the planet. And really where that came from was a combination of those personal experiences, seeing the irony of that combined with meeting my co-founder, Russ, about 10 years ago, where in our previous world prior to cabinet, we were traveling around the world, building and scaling social enterprises. For the listeners that aren't familiar with those, those are companies that optimize for not just profitability, but also social or environmental good. And think about how do you bring customers, community, and employees together to solve some large societal or environmental issue as a means to drive positive business impact as well. And a lot of that ethos for us was around what people now call building purposeful brands, around sustainable brands. But it was that unique intersection of understanding the pharmaceutical space, seeing the, the irony of the challenge of you know, creating environmental waste in a world that's supposed to be helping us feel better. And then Russ and I's own experiences of helping companies build and scale 
things that were making money, but also very good for improving the environment or society as a whole, as measured by some sort of terms. The environmental aspects of it's interesting because, again, if anybody's able to just picture, you know, a pharmacy's aisle, there is a lot of plastic there. And the debate was always around or has been recently around these plastic straws. And I kind of scratched mm-hmm. my head thinking, well, why are we picking on straws when we go through plastic cups and plastic water bottles like it's our job? And then, you know, you talk about pharmaceutical containers. I mean, that's heavy duty stuff right there. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of plastic waste in and of itself. But I don't know. I guess that's a much harder target for people to put across the headlines, you know, that it's easier to ban straws than it is to ban heavy plastic packaging for for pills. And so you guys are combating that. And I know, you know, from you guys talk about the compostable medication and compostable packaging. Give us a little bit of insight about that, because I'm sure that that's kind of the first time someone's heard that term applied to pharmaceutical containers. Absolutely. So, you know, to build on one of your points, I think one of the things that we've learned is that consumers don't even realize that there is an option in the world of pharmaceuticals. We've certainly been given options when it comes to our straws, our water bottles, and others. But the world of healthcare has always gotten this pass because of its inherent positive impact on, on humans, right? So if I'm taking a pharmaceutical product, I'm going to mentally put away the fact that I just bought this in a plastic bottle because healthcare does good for the world in and of itself. And for Russ and I as founders, that felt wrong to just have that hall pass. And growing up in this world, it's something that I think has to be done from within almost, which is how do we actually work with our, with our supply chain? How do we work with the pharma industry at large to actually start to improve the packaging and eventually the, the broader environmental impact of the manufacturing supply chain? To your question of how we actually do that, where we start is how do we, how do we eliminate the $195 billion single-use plastic bottles produced by the pharmaceutical industry every year. And that challenge for us was around, you know, how do we create a packaging format that is as shelf-stable as a plastic bottle, but as compostable as throwing away a banana peel or an avocado peel in your city compost? And we spent the last two years focused on R&D to actually create compostable packaging um, that's made out of this wood cellulose that allows us to package pharmaceutical products into something that leaves no footprint when it eventually dissolves at the end of its life. And I think really what that represents for us is that, you know, with thoughtful R&D in this space that can change the products that cabinet sells, but our ambition is that one day we inspire the broader industry to actually adopt this packaging, knocking out those 195 bottles of single-use plastic, and then eventually moving on to the next environmental issue within the world of pharma, whether that's the carbon emissions of the supply chain, the fact that we're shipping some products around the world or or anything beyond that as well. It's 195 billion single-use bottles a year. That's correct. That's staggering. <laughs> that, is, that is a mountain of plastic. My jaw pretty much hit the floor on that one. I was like, yeah. I, I'm sorry, what? So we're going with you know, sustainable packaging, biodegradable. That's you know, fantastic there. Not going to end up in any landfills forever and ever and ever. No microplastics getting into mm-hmm. the environment, streams, oceans. And then you're also providing higher quality medications, more stringent testing make sure that it's more of a pure medication is mm-hmm. the term I'm going to use on that. So to me, that seems like a winning combination. Now, talk about supply chain and then really want to dive into the direct-to-consumer aspect of it. Why did you choose an, you know, really an online retail shop is what I'm looking at here. Why that route and why not try to go the traditional wholesaler distributor and retail route? Yeah, it's a great question. And to be honest, we don't look at those as mutually exclusive pathways. 
but rather sequential for us. So the value of direct consumer um, as we built cabinet is that there's a very specific audience that we're looking to serve. As I mentioned earlier, 16 to 20% of Americans who buy OTCs who want something that's more sustainable or more quality forward. And as we fundamentally bring this product to market, the direct consumer platform allows us to serve those customers quickly. It allows us to be able to focus on a more niche audience than a mass market retailer would allow us to. Mm. Um, and it also allows us to create an experience that's really focused on, on healthcare. So you know, we've talked about sustainability, we've talked about quality, but the third pillar that's really important for us is how do we build more personalized care for consumers? There are almost 3 billion transactions a year to buy over-the-counter medicine. Those are treated no differently than buying shampoo or razor blades or the gummy bears in a pharmacy aisle. And for us, that's a massive missed opportunity for care. And even if that means let us help you pick the right medicines, even if that means if you're pregnant and you're looking for products that are safe for you and your baby, how do we make that purchasing experience a little bit better than wandering down the aisles of a pharmacy? We want to play a role in that. And the easiest way for us to bring that ambition to life is doing it through a digital experience. We can have a storefront that modulates based on who you are. We can have a set of products that modulate based on what you and your family need. And finally, we can have care that goes beyond a pill, which is so that when you are making your purchasing decision after you've bought that product and understanding how you even use it can be enabled with a, a digital world that bridges that gap between confusing pharmacy aisle, like messy pills in my cabinet, and what do I actually need to take right now? There's been a lot of talk about some big players entering in that online pharmacy space. What's your reaction to really the Amazons of the world coming in here and saying, yes, this is an area where you know, we can really throw our weight around in mm -hmm. order to create a better experience for you know, our consumers? Yeah. I think it's great. The, the pharmaceutical space is massive. The world of prescriptions is, I think, a $450 billion plus dollar market. Over-the-counter medicine is $25 billion plus, And that was in the pre-COVID numbers. And really what that means for me is that you know, there are a lot of consumers who are going through experiences that are not optimal right now in, in our healthcare system. The more players that can be in this space, creating more customer-centric options, Amazon you know, very famously being fairly customer-centric, the better it is for consumers and, and patients in the United States. And so the way that I see this evolution is, you know, as Amazon enters this market, they, like many others in healthcare, will realize the complexities of it have already, I think, realized that, but it drives broader forward momentum, I think, in the industry. And, you know, we all have a role in doing that. For them, that's, you know, easy ordering and fast delivery. That's an amazing force to push everyone else towards. If for us, it's more sustainable packaging, you know, we all have a role in that. And I think it, as long as we give consumers a choice that isn't just you have to go to this one place to get this one product at a high price point, I'm very happy with new entrants in this market. Options are always good. Competition is yeah. always good, right? It's, yeah. it's that over-regulation to <laughs> get in the way and start saying, well, you have, everybody has to go do this and saying, well, we're just going to go ahead and snuff out any innovation that you know, could possibly have bubbled up. So I'm a big fan of options, huge fan. <laughs> What are you seeing, you know, any headwinds that you guys have encountered, whether it's environmental, re uh, regulatory, legislatively, market-driven? This is one that I imagine, you know, many of our peer companies feel as well, which is a lot of the regulatory environment we're in is, is uncharted. So, you know, a simple example for us is 
if you read uh, regulatory guidance around packaging formats for pharmaceuticals, they're built around plastic bottles and plastic caps. And what that means is as we fundamentally innovate on packaging format, as our peers fundamentally innovate on delivery mechanisms, there are a lot of questions for young companies such as yourselves around what can we do, what's, what can we not do? Not necessarily because it's it's clear cut, but there's a, this massive gray area of you know, how do we create better patient experiences, but do it in a way that's safe. And um, I would say one of our biggest challenges has been been figuring that out. And and I know it's something that a number of peer companies face as well. The world of telemedicine is is famous for this, where COVID has has allowed us to innovate. I think a lot faster than we would have, but. We're going to find that across not just delivery mechanisms, but also like packaging formats, um, how we can even ship products. There are a lot of things that where the regulation hasn't necessarily caught up with where the market is in terms of what we can provide consumers. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. Absolutely. Well, let me ask this. Um, just asked about the headwinds and the challenges. Where do you see your greatest growth at this point? Yeah. So for, for us, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep beating this drum, but for us, we are focused on building the most sustainable healthcare company in the US and, and eventually the world. And the biggest growth for us that drives that is that in the world of consumer products, the majority of market growth is coming from sustainable brands, and yet there are no options in healthcare today. And so as we think about what our tailwinds are, it's that consumers are more aware than ever of both public health and the need to innovate around that, but also the impact that the environment has on their health and the climate crisis that's pending. And so as we think about the tailwinds, it's really the consumer voice. And it goes back to why we chose direct to consumer as a go-to-market channel is that when a customer wants a product, they're demanding it and they don't have any other options in market today. Really, our, our job becomes much easier in that we focus on building exceptional product experience for them and let the rest do its job. I'm sure there's some listeners out there saying, okay, direct to consumer, we're going to cut out a lot of the, like you said, the marketing, the packaging costs, the reseller costs. If you were to compare an apples to apples on... <clears throat> Let's go back to your sentimentum. What is that going to cost buying through cabinet versus yeah. me walking into my local big brand pharmacy? Yeah. So on, on average, our products are about 40% less than the brand name and anywhere from 10 to 20% less than the generic equivalents. That's huge. You know, one thing I will share though, is that a lot of that's driven through supply chain innovation. And I think one of the one of the elements of direct consumer that you know was true in the past but necess- might not necessarily be as true now is that it's a cost saving mechanism and so you know you mentioned the direct consumer channel but for us i think as we think about serving a broader population as we think about expanding reach and as we think about increasing our impact of reducing plastic waste direct consumer is important but really as we think about longer term getting into more traditional retail channels is critical as well kind of a stepping stone but a way to get market innovation, market yeah. entrance into it, start building that brand loyalty. You know, I, I love it. And especially having your ear to the ground, like you're talking about and giving people really the options. I think it's super, super admirable. <laughs> Last question for you here today. And, and this is kind of, um, you know, our, our bonus round, I guess that, that mm-hmm. everybody kind of gets this. So, you know, you're king of the world for a day or let's say king of the United States for a day, you wave your magic wand and say, I'm going to implement the perfect healthcare system what does that look like? Yeah, I think for for me, it's focusing on patients first. And this is why I love being in the world of early counter medicine is that we are not encumbered with insurance structures or the same regulatory burdens as our prescription counterparts or folks like yourself who are working with primary care doctors as well. And so 
as I think about what that means, if I'm waving my magic wand, is like, how do we create a regulatory environment that enables innovation, a regulatory environment that actually puts patients at the center? And how do we take out incentive structures that are not necessarily focused on optimizing for the best patient experience, but optimizing for everyone in that value chain to make money? And I don't necessarily think that's diametrically opposed to building good businesses in the system either. And so I think for me, to your question, wave the wand, create a new regulatory structure that enables innovation that values patient outcomes more so than taking a percent margin at every step of the, of the value chain. Once again, that's Achel Patel, CEO and co-founder of Cabinet. Achel, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. My pleasure as well. Thanks for having me. That's going to be it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from iSelf Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.